1: Thank you everyone for joining today's episode of How Did They Do a Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Sailor Prak. Today, I am honored to be joined by Robert Preston. Robert is the co-founder and CEO of Climb Capital, specializes in buying and selling RV parks. He searches for and acquires value at properties that produce a doable yield through the life of the investment. While Robert got his start by flipping single-family homes, This quickly escalated to recruiting investors and purchasing multifamily houses, and then eventually mobile home parks. Robert pivoted his attention from multifamily to RV parks in the late of 2020. Climb Capital truly believes that this is the great next great opportunities in real estate. In addition to continuously improving the real estate industry, Robert is a proud husband and father of four. Robert and his wife are licensed foster parents and have. Foster many children over the last few years. Two of their children were adopted through foster care. So Robert, thank you so much for spending time with me today.
2: How are you doing? Man, thank you for having me. I just realized I should probably shrink up that bio a little bit. <laughs> we're going to go word for word, but it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And Robert, I know we give a quick synopsis of your bios and uh, your backgrounds in real estate, but if you can share a little bit more about your background and how you get started with real estate to our listener in more details, that that would be great.
2: Yeah. Great question. So my first profession was I was a Marine Corps pilot. So I spent 15 years in the United States Marine Corps flying the B-22 Osprey. And as around 2012, I was on my second deployment in Afghanistan. And lots of things happened, made some major life decisions. But that's really where I started pursuing real estate investing as maybe the next step after the pilot and after the military career. So I didn't have any cash, didn't have any really... I mean, I had decent credit because of my government paycheck, but you know, no experience. And so basically, I started out uh, just wholesaling single-family homes to build up in a little cash. And then that led to flipping the houses. And then eventually, I wanted that passive income. And so for us, my very first commercial property was actually a 16-unit mobile home park. And that was really great, did very well. I actually still have that property. And it escalated to many things, but it got into a lot of heavy value-add, Class C apartment complexes Mm -hmm. and doing some really major renovations there. And then, like I mentioned in the bio, around 2020, we bought, I got out of the Marine Corps. I also bought a motorhome, became a customer, so to speak, and fell in love with the customer side of it. And then really thought from an investment perspective that there was a huge opportunity there in the RV parks, since so we pivoted really 21, we changed and retooled our investment company and structure into buying RV parks. And that's where we're at today. That's awesome, Robert. First of all, thank you so much for your service.
1: We thank really you. appreciate you for what you have done. And also, so you mentioned that you pivot to RV parks. What mm-hmm. make RV parks a sound investment in real estate and making yeah. you change in the direction?
2: Yeah, another great question. Thanks for asking that. I found as a multifamily investor, I was a syndicator and sponsor then, basically 2015 to 2020. And just in those five years, I saw a significant change in in the cap rate compression and in the demand for the product and a lot of capital coming in there, a lot of other sponsors. And I just felt like the prices were too artificially inflated. The returns were being met and the prices were being achieved simply because of really cheap debt and even bridge loan debt on interest-only stuff. And that was the only way that these deals were making sense. And that just was too risky for me. It wasn't something I was willing to do and put our investors in that jeopardy. And I think we're going to see some really negative results over that next couple of years where a lot of these IO bridge loans are Mm -hmm. going to come due in the next couple of years. It's going to be a bad situation for some people. So that's a long way of saying I just saw that it was just way too much competition in the multifamily side. Well, we had some experience in mobile home parks. It's a cheaper asset, it's a different asset, but it's cheaper to get into. Higher cap rates, and then I saw RV parks and said, "Well, wait a second, this is similar to mobile home park in operations. It has almost the same revenue per site or per door as the multifamily side. I have very little infrastructure to keep up, so I don't have the downside of the apartment complex maintenance and repairs." And I have guests, I don't have tenants. So the eviction laws and stuff are generally much more favorable to running an RV park. And then you put it all together of also the people are happy. They're happy to be there. They're on vacation. It's fun. I enjoy it as a customer and as an owner. So now I can take my family with me to the parks that I own. And there's a lot of reasons there, but I put it all together. To me, it has a lot of the benefits of the other asset classes. It has fewer of the downsides of the other asset classes. And it's just something that i enjoy as a lifestyle right. and Roberts, how many are parks have you done so far we have owned 14 we went full cycle on one we currently own 13 so we've only sold one yeah so we have 13 right now and where are they they're spread across so i'm as far west as arizona at lake powell page arizona lake powell beautiful area just north of grand canyon and then our farthest east one is close to charleston south carolina So a large concentration is in Florida and Alabama and Tennessee, but we do have one East Coast, West Coast, almost West Coast.
1: Got it. And for our listener who listening, how do you identify where you're going to invest all these RV parks? Are they usually more of a value add or are they from a a ground
2: up? Yeah. So we are building our first ground up park here in the city that I live so that we'll learn where I can see it every day and then we'll continue to expand the development side of that. For us, our buy box criteria has a lot to do with geography and weather. You know, people, you're from California, right? People love to live where the weather's great. And so they don't like to be where the weather's not great. So we try to stay south of the freezing line so that we can stay open all year. And then again, the opposite would be we don't go to South Texas generally or South Florida or the really, really hot states where the summer prohibits anyone being outside. So mm-hmm. we really focus on what we would call the Sunbelt, the I-10, I-20 corridors, east and west. And then you know we're looking for major throwaways running north and south from Canada, and New York going down to Florida, snowbird type, type situations, and then out west coming down to north Arizona, southern Utah is obviously very popular for winter retreats. So geography, we're looking for those things with regards to geography. And then park-wise, generally about 100 sites or more mm-hmm. They have some amenities. Water is a key part of any outdoor experience. So we really like them to have a, a pond or a stream or river or even really nice pool will suffice, mm-hmm. water parks. And then we like them to be close to interstates. So we're very close to where people are traveling east and west and north and south. That's where we want to be. Got it. Got it.
1: And so for some of the components that you mentioned earlier, you're you know, close to the waters, have some water parks and all that, right? But in terms of operation itself, what exactly you need as an essential, right? It's like what you provide uh, the all parks.
2: Yeah. Oh, to the customer or to... To the customer. Yeah. So my opinion, the most, the top amenity that needs to be provided is high-speed internet now. Mm-hmm. We have so many customers that are work travelers, so meaning their profession is taking them, or they're choosing to work remotely because they can do like we're doing, Zoom, mm-hmm. right? So we have to provide a high-speed internet, very dependent on internet. That is one of our top amenities. And then second to that would be generally a pool, right? That's the next thing that's probably most valuable is a pool. And then, of course, lots of other things, fire pits, kayak rentals, mm-hmm. camp stores, ice cream, whatever it is, there's a tons of different ways to bring in ancillary revenue. But the most important, in my opinion, by far, amenity is Wi-Fi.
1: Got it. And so for our listeners who are listening and possibly invested as an LP, right? so what is the main source of revenue for RV parks?
2: Yeah, the main source comes from the rental of the site. Mm -hmm. And that can be broken out really two different ways. We classify nightly rentals and weekly rentals as Retail income. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, people on vacation, traveling, just stopping by. Um, That has very high revenue, but also has a lot of uh, volatility. And so, um, and then we have a lot of guests that, again, rent by the month. And to us, that's a long term guest. And so that has a lot of stability, of course, because they're generally there for six to 12 months at a time. And so we run kind of a ratio of 50 50, 60 40. Between the long term guest and the short term guest to keep the stability of the income there, but also capitalize on the peak revenue sites.
1: Got right. it. And what is the typical occupancy?
2: That would vary significantly in different areas. Yeah. But for our underwriting purposes, for our long term guest, we typically underwrite between 80 to 90% in a strong area. And then our vacancy for retail side is probably around 45 to 50%. Got it. What's our uh, typical expenses for the RV parks? So our typical expense ratio is still about 50% expense ratio. And we have a lot less maintenance and repairs and a lot less insurance. Generally, we can work the taxes because there's mm-hmm. not a lot of stuff there, but payroll is always significantly higher than your typical multifamily asset. So we're saving on those three, but having to pay more for the customer service side of that, of mm-hmm. providing that to a customer. So Higher payroll, less on the rest of it. And of course, utilities is quite high. Those things take a lot of power.
1: And what is your client's capital's usually business plan when you purchasing these RV parks? What are typical uh, business plan?
2: Yeah, so typically we're going to underwrite and look at a five-year hold. Most of the time we can come into a park and significantly change the revenue without any CapEx by implementing online booking systems, dynamic pricing, social media presence. This is an industry that's still a lot of unsophisticated mom and pop owners. Mm -hmm. So we can come in and raise the rates and revenue very quickly. Sometimes literally overnight, we change the nightly rate to from $38 to $45 a night. We've increased our revenue by 20% for the year. So that's kind of phase one. Phase two is to bring in the amenities. Generally, Wi-Fi is the next one, which can be done relatively quickly. And start doing perception upgrades. And then the third phase is a lot of times we have excess acreage and then we start building more sites in there. And so to kind of phase one, two, and three. We look at it a five-year underwriting. Mm -hmm. Again, typically we're trying to achieve about a 20% per year ROI on average is is really what we're looking for.
0: We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about serving you our listener at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes.
1: And you mentioned about the five-year plan. And uh, what is a typical exit plan after five years? Who's are the buyers? Uh, What are we aiming for?
2: Yeah, so we are aggregating a portfolio and trying to grow that quite large. And we think that our buyer is going to be a larger institution or REIT. And you have seen the news where Mm -hmm. a lot of these REITs are now opening up RV park wings. And so we expect that probably our buyer will be someone who comes in and buys the entire portfolio.
1: Got it. I know it's uh, possibly like if you're okay or open to it, can you give uh, scenarios you look like as an LP investor, limited partners that investing in an RV
2: park, what does a typical deal look like and the structure? Ooh, yeah, typical. There's very really few things in RV parks that are typical. So I can give you an example. We bought a park in a small park. It was in mm-hmm. February of 2020. We bought the park for five hundred and fifty thousand. We put in just over twenty five thousand in capex, so we were at five seventy five into it. And then we sold that park in February of twenty twenty two. Exactly two years later, we sold that for one point two five. So the investment into that, the down payment, was only one hundred fifty thousand. So I know it's a small example, but that was a extremely extremely good return. So that's the one we've gone full cycle on. We've gone full cycle on. 12 multifamily deals but that's the first rv one we have an investment fund and essentially we have the return structure there is really targeting the 15 to 20 percent ir well that's what i tell investors or lps that they should expect typically we do better than that but that's the expectation
1: Got it. And but in terms of the split itself, right, from the operators and also the limited partners, what is a typical structure?
2: Yeah. So typically we take a 2% asset management fee, Mm -hmm. a 2% acquisition fee. Those are the only fees that we take. And then it's typically a 60-40 split or 70-30 split, the larger part being to the LPs. We have an 8% or 7% preferred return and then the 60-40 or 70-30 split most of the time. Got it. And you mentioned earlier about the RV Park investment funds that you have.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about the fund and why would someone invest in a fund instead of individual deal?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we realized that there were some inefficiencies from the buying and the selling perspective of continually turning turn over these assets. And our investors did well and they had their initial investment and then they had their profits and they wanted something or somewhere to put it. And sometimes we didn't have a deal for them to put in at that time. So For efficiency purposes and buying power, we created an investment fund. It's a $20 million fund that we're raising capital for. And right now that fund owns five parks. We expect to own about 15 parks total inside of that fund. And so that does give some diversity and what's the word I'm thinking of? Diversification. There we go. Diversification of the assets, both geographically in case there's a natural disaster that affects one or the other, and of course, markets some markets thrive in the winter, some markets thrive in the summer. So it spread loads that revenue coming in there appropriately. That's the fund that structure is, I believe it's a 7%, could be 8% preferred return, and then 60-40 split to the 60% to the LPs. And that's been open just not quite a year. We're almost to the year mark. And yeah, that's open
1: to accredited investors. Got it. Robert, thank you so much for providing me information about the funds as well. So if somebody invested in an RV park, are they expecting to get some type of a K-1s? And what about tax deductions and Mm. depreciation? Can you touch a little bit on that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Another great question. So yeah, you would receive a K-1, probably very similar to any other multifamily investment. RV parks still have a significant amount of depreciation and we still can do cost segregation studies. We do those. So you get accelerated depreciation on those. So Rough rule of thumb is around 30 to 40% of your investment is a depreciable loss mm-hmm. uh, the first couple of years. Yeah, very, very similar to probably the other syndications you're, or funds you're used to seeing. It just happens to be an RV park instead of an apartment complex.
1: Got it. And like uh, multi family uh, space or single families, right? You have all these tenants. That's part of the risk that they do not pay. And you have the eviction process and all that. Yeah. What are some of the risks that you can see investing in an RV park that investors
2: should know? Oh, I'm sorry, I missed it. The- Did you just say the the worst parts of investing? Uh, the risk, like the risk that you can think of about RV parks. Um, that yeah. So of course, RV parks, as you mentioned, the plus side is that they're not tenants, right? So there's not right. an eviction process. So the inferred or inferred risk there that comes there is they're not on leases. So in theory, and and sometimes they do is they can pack up in the middle of the night and leave, and so you don't have long term leases with obligation for them to pay. Now, as an apartment complex owner, when people broke leases, there really is not a significant amount of, besides suing them, which is cost more than there's not a whole lot of actually teeth to that anyway. So one of the risks is the ability for your customers to leave very quickly. That's again, mitigated a couple different ways, but there's just a lot of demand. Let's see. What's the other risk? It's really more of my risk, but there's not a lot of institutional debt options so most of the debt that's out there for RV parks is full recourse which doesn't affect our LPS but it does affect me and natural disasters can affect your park temporarily but you're also the first if there's a natural disaster in Florida as an example a hurricane comes through of course that kills your business but on the back side of that you are the first to be able to provide housing quickly right so you're the mm-hmm. it's an easiest type of property to repair to provide a housing solution. So typically in those scenarios, you have a lot of FEMA and stuff coming in there. So those are some of the risks, but I think the the biggest one is just, it may not be something that you can put long-term leases on.
1: Got it. So some of the ways are also affecting any asset classes like natural disaster, multi-family, sure. self-storage, anything that will be affected anyway. Right? right. But at the same time, thank you so much for talking to me about the RV parks and RV parks investment fund. So Robert, is there anything about RV parks or investment or the investment funds that you have that I haven't asked that you wanted to share with our listeners?
2: Yeah, I will add one thing. So I think there's a common maybe misperception of RV parks that says that it is uh, risky from the sense of customer demand because the theory would be that if the economy is not doing well, people don't go on vacation and this is a luxury item. The truth is is that RV parks is, a lot of them are uh, just a different derivative affordable housing. There are a lot of people who live full-time in RVs Mm -hmm. either by choice because they like to be mobile and move or by necessity of their job, their job requires a move. Or sometimes there's just not enough housing in the area. So where we're at in Florida, there's a lot of people living in RV parks because they're either waiting for a house to be built or they sold their house and there's nothing to buy. And so there's a strong component of our business that is very, very similar to affordable workforce housing. It's not Mm -hmm. just vacation.
1: And Robert, I know you don't have a crystal ball, right? And during the time of these interviews, it's the mid of 2023. What do you see the RV parking investment space look like at the second half of 2023 and 2024?
2: Yeah, I think right now there's a lot of stagnation. There's very few deals being done. Sellers are still stuck on 2022 uh, valuations. And obviously buyers have to deal with high interest rates from the banks. So I think that as we move through the rest of this year that transaction volume will pick up there will be sellers that start to realize that this is not a short term this is not a short term blip in the map it's going to be a long term thing so they they can keep it or not so I think transactions will start picking up but I also see already a lot more institutions a lot more sponsors like myself a lot more large large REITs moving into the space so I think over the next 5 10 years you're going to see this become very much like uh, multifamily or mini storages. It'll be very institutionalized and commoditized. Got it.
1: And I know I, I didn't ask this, but Robert, you know, like you mentioned, when you were in Afghanistan and you start thinking about like investing in real estate, yeah. what was the mindset shift there? Uh, why real estate at that time?
2: Yeah. So uh, my story is that I was getting shot at a lot. A couple of times I thought I wasn't going to make it home. And the gist of it was I should find a different way to make money than getting shot at. And so, as I went through that process, didn't have any inventions, I didn't want to go back to school to be a doctor or a lawyer, and I just realized that everyone was wealthy that I knew had something to do with real estate. Let's start looking there, and it wasn't super hard to learn to do, so I started there. Got it, and how has that been
1: treating you so far since you started investing in real estate?
2: It's pretty good, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so no, I'm able to do things now and go places and live a life that I could have never expected. Yeah, so i feel very blessed for that and real estate was part of that definitely have to give credit to my creator but yeah we're very blessed so
1: robert our listener listening to you right now and if they have to ask you what would advice would you give it to them if they wanted to be a successful real estate investor like yourself
2: Mm. so i think there's two ways and you just have to make the decision are you going to be passive and be an lp and that's great and if that is your route then find great sponsors with strategies that make sense that don't revolve around financial engineering and or if you're going to go and do it actively then the only, the best piece of advice i can do there is just you got to take action you got to put offers in you got to do deals and you'll learn across the way you'll make mistakes but the analysis or paralysis by analysis is probably what hinders most people
1: Robert, I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today to talk to me and to our listener regarding RV Parks and RV Park Investment Fund and sharing the knowledge that you have with us and your stories. And by the way, thank you again for your service. If our listener wanted to find out more about you, your company, and wanted to invest with you, where can they go?
2: Yeah. So our website is climbcapital.com, which is C-L-I-M-B as in boy, capital.com. So from there, you'll find links to my contact information and to our investment fund and our portfolio and all that stuff. So yeah, climbcapital.com.
1: Robert, thank you again for your time.
2: Thank you.
0: And thank you for listening to our podcast today brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We'd really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review.